Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast, Book 6, Chapter 6. They did it. Cheers to their new modest life. Swims to the mum of fishy, says, I found this passage notable. Tony seems to make her marriage decisions for all the wrong reasons. She, Tony, was filled with a sense of her own importance, the significance of the decision she was asked to make, the awareness that once again a day had come on which duty demanded that she acted earnestly and decisively to alter her family's history and her heart beat higher. Tekrific says, isn't this a case of arrested development? She's 30 years old but mentally a silly goose. She is a bit of a silly goose still. She wants to be a good member of the family. You know, you can say that about her and she's been doing that ever since. So, I don't know. What can we say? Tekrific also says, this long chapter was basically to provide... An opportunity for a proposal to take place, which of course, inevitably, occurred. Another thing, Tony spoke about herself as a widow, so I got confused because I don't remember if Grundlich had died or not. And then she said she bore no ill will wherever he was now, etc. Did he or did he not die? He's alive, right? Now, she was speaking metaphorically to underline her abandonment. I think the rapid pace is starting to take its toll on my memory. Swims to the moment, she says, I think she couldn't bring herself to say the word divorce. The phrase she was used was widowhood or whatever. Alright, that must be it. She was just kind of using it as a, not a euphemism, but something like that. Very cool, I'm going to read chapter 7 now. <clears throat> I'm feeling very, very tired today, so I'm keen to push on and get it done. In the morning, at eight o'clock, Consul Bottenbrook, so soon as he had left his bed, stolen through the little door and down the wind winding stair into the bathroom, taken a bath and put on his nightshirt again, Consul Bottenbrook, we say, began to busy himself with public affairs. For then her Wenzel, barber and member of the assembly, appeared with his intelligent face and his red hands, his razors and other tools and the basin of warm water which he had fetched from the kitchen and the consul sat in the reclining chair and leaned his head back and her Wenzel began to make a lather and there ensued almost always a conversation that began with the weather and how you slept the night before went on to politics in the great world thence to domestic affairs in the city itself and closed in an intimate and familiar key on business and family matters. All this prolonged very much the process in hand, for every time the consul said anything, her Wenzel had to stop shaving. Hope you slept well, her consul. Yes, that. Thanks, Wenzel. Is it fine today? Frost and a bit of snow, her consul, in front of St. Jamie's. The boys have made another slide, more than ten yards long. I nearly sat down when I came from the Burgomasters, the young wretches. Seen the papers? The advertiser in the Hamburg News, yes, nothing in them, but the Orsini bombs, horrible. It happened on our way to the opera. Oh, they must be a fine lot over there. Oh, it doesn't signify much, I shouldn't think. 
It has nothing to do with the people, and the only effect will be that the police will be doubled and there will be twice as much inter interference with the press. He is on his guard. Yes, it must be a perpetual strain, for he has the to introduce new projects all the time to keep himself in power. But I respect him all the same. At all events, he can't be a fool with his traditions, and I was very much impressed with the cheap bread affair. There is no doubt he does a great deal for the people. Yes, her maker says so too. Stefan, we were talking about it yesterday. It looks bad for Friedrich William of Prussia. Things won't last much longer as they are. <coughs> Excuse me. Su surprise yawn. Things won't last much longer as they are. They already... They say already that the prince will be made regent in time. It will be interesting to see what happens then. He's already shown that he has liberal ideas and does not feel his brother's secret disgust for the constitution. It is just the chagrin that upsets him, poor man. What is the news from Copenhagen? Nothing new, her consul. They simply won't. The confederation has declared that a united government for Holstein and Lauberg is illegal. They won't have it any at any price. Yes, it is unheard of, Wenzel. They dare the Budenstag to put in into operation, and if it were a little more lively over oh, these Danes, careful with that chapped place, Wenzel. There's our direct line Hamburg railway too. That has cost some diplomatic battles and will cost more before they get the concession from Copenhagen. Yes, her consul, the stupid thing is that the Altona Kiel Railway Company is about is against it, and in fact all Holstein is. Dr. Overdeer Dr. Overdeek I've lost my place. Uh, Dr. Overdeck, the Burgomaster, was saying so just now. They are dreadfully afraid of Kiel prospering much. Of course, Wenzel. A new connection between the North Sea and the Baltic, you'll see. The Kiel Altona line will keep on intriguing. They are in a position to build a rival railway. East Holstein, Newminster, Neustadt. Yes, that is quite on the cards, but... We must not let ourselves be bullied, and we must have a direct route to Hamburg. Her consul must take the matter up himself. Certainly, so far as my powers go, and wherever I have any influence, I am interested in the development of our railways. It is tradition with us from 1851. My father was director on the Buchen line, which is probably the reason why I was elected so young. I am only 33 years old, and my services so far have been very inconsiderable. Oh, her consul. How can the her consul say that after his speech in the assembly? Yes, that made an impression, and I've certainly shown my goodwill at least. I can only be grateful that my father, grandfather, and great-grandfather prepared the way for me, and that I inherited so much of the respect and confidence they received from the town. For without it, I could not move as I am now able to. For instance, after 48, in the beginning of this decade, what did my father not do towards the reform of our postal service. Think how he urged 
in the Assembly, the Union of the Hamburg Diligences with the Postal Service, and how in 1850 he forced the Senate, by continuous pressure, to join the German-Austrian Postal Union. If we have cheap letter postage now, and stamps, and book post, and letter boxes, and telegraphic connection with Hamburg and Travemunde, he is not the last one to be grateful to. Why, if he and a few other people had not kept at the Senate continually, we should most likely still be behind the Danish and the Therne Taxis Postal Service. So when I have an opinion nowadays on these subjects, people listen to me. The Herr Consul is speaking God's truth about the Hamburg line. Dr. Overdick was saying to me only three days ago, <clears throat> when we get where we can buy a suitable site for the station in Hamburg, we will send Consul Buddenbrook to help transact the business, for in such dealings he is better than most lawyers. Those were his very words. Well, that is very flattering to me, Wenzel. Just put a little more lather on my chin, will you? He wants a bit more cleaning up. Yes, the truth is, we mustn't let the grass grow under our feet. I am saying nothing against Overdieck, but he is getting on. If I were Burgo Master, I'd make things move a little faster. I can't tell you how pleased I am that they are installing gas for the street lighting and the miserable old oil lamps are disappearing. I admit I had a little something to do with that change. Oh, how much there is to do. Times are changing. Wenzel and we have much responsibilities towards the new age. When I think back to my boyhood, you know, better than I do, what the town looked like then. The streets without sidewalks, grass growing a foot high between the paving stones, the houses with porticos and benches sticking out into the streets and our buildings from the time of the Middle Ages spoilt the clumsy additions and all tumbling down because while individuals had money and nobody went hungry, the town had none at all and just muddled along as my brother-in-law calls it, without ever thinking of repairs. That was a happy and comfortable generation, when my grandfather's crony, the good Jean Jacques Hofstede, strolled around the town and translated improper little French poems. They had to end those good old times. They have changed, and they will have to change still more. Then the population was 37,000. Now it is 50, you know, and the whole character of the place is altering. There is so much building and the suburbs are spreading out and we are able to have good streets and restore the old monuments out of our great period. Yet even all that is merely superficial. The most important matter is still outstanding, my dear Wenzel. I mean, of course, the Suturum Sensio of my dear father, the Customs Union. We must join, Wenzel. There should be no longer any question about it. <clears throat> You must all help me fight for it. As a businessman, believe me, <clears throat> I am better informed than the diplomats, and the fear that we should lose independence and freedom of acting is simply laughable in that case. The Mecklenburg and Schleswig-Holstein inland would take us in, which is more desirable for the reason that we do not control the northern trade quite to the extent that we once did. That's enough. Please give me the towel, Wenzel, concluded the consul. Then the market price of rye, which stood at 55 thaler and showed disquieting signs of falling still further, was talked about, and perhaps there was a mention of some event or other in the town, and then her Wenzel vanished by the basement route and emptied the leather out of his shiny basin on the pavement in the street, and the consul mounted his the winding stair into the bedroom. 
and found Gerda awake and kissed her on the forehead, and then he dressed. These little morning sessions with the lively barber formed the introduction to busy days, full to running over with thinking, talking, writing, reckoning, doing business, going about the town. Thanks to his travels, his interest, and his knowledge of affairs, Thomas Buddenbrook's mind was the least provincial in the district, and he was certainly the first to realise the limitations of his lot. The lively interest in public affairs which the years of the revolution had brought in was suffering throughout the whole country from a period of prostration and arrest, and that field was too sterile to occupy a vigorous talent, but Thomas Buddenbrook possessed the spirit to take to himself that wise old saying that all human achievement is of a merely symbolic value and thus to devote all that he had of capacity enthusiasm energy and strength of will to the service of the community as well as to the service of his own name and firm he stood in the front rank of the small society and was seriously ambitious to give his city greatness and power within himself within her sphere though he had the intellect to to smile at himself for the ambition even while he cherished it. He ate his breakfast served by Anton and went to the office in Meng Street where he remained about an hour writing two or three pressing letters and telegrams giving this or that instruction imparting to the wheels of industry a small push and then leaving them to revolve under the cautious eye of her Marcus. He went to assemblies and committee meetings, visited the Bourse, which was held under the Gothic arcades in the Margaret Square, inspected dockyards, warehouses, talked with the captains of the ships he owned, and transacted much and various business all day long until evening, interrupted only by the hasty luncheon with his mother and dinner with Gerda. After he took a half-hour's rest on the sofa with his cigarette and the newspaper, Customs, rates, construction, railways, posts, almonry, all this, as well as his own business, occupied him, and even in matters commonly left to professionals, he acquired insight. And judgment, especially in finance, where he early showed himself extremely gifted. He was careful not to neglect the social side. True, he was not always punctual and usually appeared at the very last minute when the carriage waited below and his wife sat in full toilet. I'm sorry, Gerda, he would say. I was detained. And he would dash upstairs to don his evening clothes, but when he arrived at a dinner, a ball, or an evening company, he showed lively interest and ranked as a charming corsair and in entertaining he and his wife were not behind the other rich houses in kitchen and cellar everything was tip-top and he himself was considered a most courteous and tactful host whose toasts were wittier than the common run his quiet evenings he spent at home with gerda alone smoking listening to her music or reading with her some book of her selection thus his labours enforced success his consequence grew in the town and the firm had excellent years despite the sums drawn out to settle Christian and to pay Tony's second dowry, and yet there were troubles which had at times the power to lame his courage for hours, weaken his elasticity and depress his mood. 
there was Christian in Hamburg, his partner, Herr Burmeister, had died quite suddenly of an apoplectic stroke in the spring of the year 1858. His heirs drew their money out of the business, and the consul strongly advised Christian against trying to continue it without his, with his own means, for he knew how difficult it is to carry on a business already established on definite lines if the working capital had suddenly diminished. But Christian insisted upon the continuation of his independence. He took over the assets and the liabilities of H.C.F. Burmeister and Company, and trouble was to be looked for. Then there was was the consul's sister Clara in Riga. Her marriage with Pastor Tibertius had remained unblessed with children, but then, as Clara Buddenbrook, she had never wanted children and probably very little talent for motherhood. Now her husband wrote that her health left much to be desired. The severe headaches from which she had suffered even as a girl were now recurring periodically to an almost unbearable extent. That was quite disquieting. And even... Here at home there was another source of worry, for as yet there was no certainty whether, whatever that the family name would live. Gerda treated the subject with sovereign indifference, which came very near to being repugnant. Thomas concealed his anxiety, but the old Frau Consul took the matter in hand and consulted Grobau. Doctor, just between ourselves, something is bound to happen sometime, isn't it? A little mountain air at Kruth, a little seashore at Glucksburg or Travemundo, but they don't seem to work. What do you advise? Dr. Grabauer's pleasant old prescription, a nourishing diet, a little pigeon, a slice of French bread, didn't seem strong enough together, either, to fit the case. He ordered Permont and Schlagenbad. Those were three worries. And Tony, poor Tony. All right, there we go. That's that chapter for you, poor Tony. All right, see you tomorrow.